Welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. And in this podcast, we interview speakers from the most recent OME conference as a preview of their upcoming webinars. This episode is our final regular episode for this season, and it's coming from Mike Jacobs, who is a math consultant from the Durham Catholic District School Board. He'll be talking about his upcoming webinar titled Itching to Code in Grade 9. So let's get right to it and hear from Mike. Okay, hello and welcome. I'm talking with Mike Jacobs. Mike, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, David. Thanks very much. How are you today? Very, very good. Mike, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about who you are and, and your connection to math. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm a math consultant with Durham Catholic District School Board. Um, I've been working with them since 2000. I was um, a math teacher for six years. I taught in England for 10 years before that. I came here in 2000. And yeah, so that's, that's what I've been doing. So I'm curious, like, what differences or similarities you see in your teaching that you did in England compared to here in Canada? I think my, my teaching has evolved an awful lot. And, and funnily enough, I think maybe one of the catalysts of that was the first OMCO, oh, not the OMCO conference, the No AME conference that I went to in 2001. So that was in my first full year. Of, of teaching here in Canada. And my, my curriculum chair, uh, Trish Mecca, came to me that year and said, oh, you're going to the OME conference. And I'd, I'd never heard of OME at this point. But I remember uh, it was such a positive experience going to this conference and, and choosing different sessions over a couple of days and, and just getting some really, really good ideas for, for teaching math in, in um, a, a variety of different courses. And also being like, really kind of wide-eyed. I was walking around all the uh, exhibitor stores and looking at all the things on display. And But also what I really found useful was uh, in the sessions, actually sitting next to other teachers and just chatting with them and just getting different ideas off them. And I remember sitting next to one, one teacher who was telling me how she was using a motion detector uh, in her class to to get kids to really understand distance time graphs. And I'd never heard of that before. So I just found that coming, coming to, uh, to Ontario um, was just a real catalyst for me to rethink my teaching of math and just make it um, a lot more engaging. So, yeah, I haven't looked back since then. So do you think if had you stayed in England, uh, that would, it would have been different for you? Like you don't think you would have evolved as much or you're not even sure? I, I don't know. I think it was maybe a watershed moment when I left England that my, my career could have gone two ways. And I, I think I, I chose the way where to be a lot more kind of engaging as opposed to be a lot more just, you know, kill and, and drill them. But it's, yeah, may, maybe coming to, to Ontario was, was uh, you know, a change as good as the rest in many ways. And maybe that got me to, to just give me time to rethink, you know, well, what is math all about? You know, how am I going to get my students to, to learn in the best ways? Uh, and I was just surrounded with like loads of really good professionals uh, at, at my school and in my board. And, you know, by extension, uh, throughout Ontario, it's, it's been a fantastic, fantastic learning community. I do still keep in touch with some of my colleagues from, from the UK. And I know there's some some really interesting stuff going on over there. Um, and I think globally, uh, there's some really good uh, ideas uh, that, that are being shared to, to, to help us become better math teachers. Well, I know it's certainly a lot easier to not teach in a bubble with all the, you know, and I've been a, a big advocate of, of Twitter uh, as, a, as a professional learning network, but, but you're right. I mean, so surrounding yourself with, or being surrounded, whether you do it purposefully or not, the good professional learning network is, is like some of the best, the best uh, way to, to expand your horizons. Absolutely. 
Now you already uh, you already sort of jumped the gun on my second question about how you first first uh, uh, heard of OME, and 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 it sounds like you know for you it was uh, right around the same time as it was for me. It's really in that early two thousands that I first got involved with OME. Uh, like, how long did it take you to sort of jump from just being, say, a participant at the conference to to moving towards becoming one of the speakers? It would have taken. Well, my first conference was in 2001 that I, I attended and I think the first one I actually presented would have been about 2008 or 2009 so that'd be about uh, seven or eight years I would have thought and I think for for the longest time it was maybe a, a bit of I've got so much to learn you know because there's so many like good sessions on offer to, I got to a point where I became a consultant in our board in 2006. And then I was in a position where I'm helping the other teachers, you know, with, with their learning. And then I was doing that at a board level. And then I think I must have gradually got the confidence and thought, maybe, maybe I could do this at provincial level. And there's always a bit of nervousness on my part, thinking, well, am I really good enough? There's always that kind of imposter syndrome. But then I thought, oh, well, it's, it's always been like a really friendly community, the OME community. Um, and I thought, well, you know, if, if I've got something to, to, to give, let's, let's give it. So, yeah, I did my, my, my first one is, I think it was a co-presenter with a colleague, Mansell Legacy. And then, again, having looked back, you know, I've always enjoyed presenting. I've always enjoyed learning from other people as I'm presenting. And, that, yeah, I think it's part of being a good community, you know, giving and taking. Well, and that's exactly why you're here today uh, as the presenter at our most recent OME 2022 conference. You did a session called Itching to Code in Grade 9. And so that's what we're here for today, just to give us a, a little preview of your upcoming webinar on the same topic. Uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what your session is going to be on. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of puns. So with a title like Itching to Code, you know it's got something to do with Scratch. Yeah. I, I think when the, the new District Math curriculum came out, uh, and I, I was sharing this with, with my colleagues, perhaps the, the question that I was getting most from them is, well, uh, how are we going to teach coding? And it's not that uh, people, the people I work with didn't know how to do coding. It's just that, well, what activities do we have? So I spent some time thinking about, well, what is going to be the best way of teaching this? What language do we use, you know, when we're teaching this? What, what platforms do we use? And I thought I'd, I'd help my colleagues by creating some some tasks and then going into the classrooms and working with them and working with the students and, and seeing what works and collating a, a set of resources that we could use throughout, throughout the course and uh, fine-tune them as we go along. And so... When I, I did my, my presentation last year, it, it was almost like a, a report of this is what we've done so far uh, in our board, and this is what seems to be working. And I fine-tuned uh, some of those activities since then. So w the, 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 there's lots of uh, things that, that come out of this. Um, w when I was uh, presenting this, I thought, okay, um, I, what's the, the whole point of uh, uh, bringing coding into the curriculum? Is is it the actual computer language that we're, we're worried about? Or do I just want to focus on, on the coding? Or do I want to bring in like some of the expectations in as well? And uh, in discussion with other colleagues, I thought, well, I think it's important to use coding to learn math, 
you know. So as much as possible, I wanted to create activities that address some of the overall expectations, but also also address strand A, the mathematical thinking. Mm. And so I, I aimed to get some activities that would do those things. But there were some dilemmas, you know, what language do we use? Do, do we use Python? Do we use uh, no, C++? Um, we figured out pretty early on that a lot of our students had some experience with Scratch. And so we decided to uh, use Scratch as the, the, the main one. But whenever we were doing any of this work, um, when, when it, whenever we gave any task, we said, look, I might show you some things in Scratch, but if you can use Python to do this, you know, you find yourself a Python emulator, you uh, code it yourself and, and show us the end results of it. Uh, our other dilemmas were, do we do things in a step-by-step you know, manner or do we like just let the kids play and explore? So I talk about all, all, all these things, uh, all these steps of the learning journey that we, we uh, went through. Do we, do we give the coding as just one big block at the end of the year or do we try and infuse it throughout the year? What, what kind of works best? How, how do we go about assessing and evaluating it? You know, can we include this as part of a mark? You know, uh, should we include this as part of a, a final culminating task? And then I've, uh, in my presentation last year, I, as, as part of it, I, I shared with, with everyone a half a dozen different tasks that we gave the students. Uh, I shared the codes for these and how we actually presented them and uh, examples of the student work. Uh, and I, I hope it's something that teachers can take away and use with with their own students uh, in their own schools. So you you alluded to the fact, or maybe I heard it incorrectly, but it sounded like you, you, a lot of your colleagues were familiar with coding themselves. So did that make it easier to sort of infuse that in into the math curriculum? Well, I think my colleagues would have had a mixture of experiences. There, were, there would be some uh, colleagues who on a regular basis, would use some sort of coding for whatever reasons, you know, either at work, they, they might be like teachers of computer science or they, they might do it as a hobby on the side to, to some people who haven't done coding since university. So I had a, a kind of wide range of attitudes to that. I think more than anything else, uh, they, didn't, they didn't want coding to just be some sort of add-on. They wanted it to be something that actually adds something to the math, you know, to uh, that that makes that helps students understand the math better. And I know that there may have been some people who weren't quite sure if if coding could actually do that. But as as we did some of these activities, and we could see some of the math coming out, and we could see students not only in, uh, gaining knowledge about how to code, you know, using Scratch, but also oh, that's helped them understand something as seemingly trivial as order of operations. Uh, that's help them get, develop a better understanding of that or this particular uh, task has really helped them um, improve their mathematical thinking or their exploration you know when we began to see that uh, in the students then i think it was a lot easier for us to, to kind of you know value uh, using coding to to learn about math in that curriculum and you know i think it's uh, it's important also to realize that i think for the coding there's there's two things for me there's the, the importance of students being exposed to computational thinking in that and this that the really analytic way that coding only provides that that in that way that that immediate feedback of you know if you're 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 
program works mm-hmm. um, and you you know it, it's not going to work if you don't tell the computer because computers are dumb if you don't tell the computer exactly what to do so it, it, it builds that skill but I think even for for students who move on to to any of the the major sciences uh, they're going to find in university and in college that they are using coding on the regular in their classes yeah it is a uh... It is something that I do uh, remember. One particular student asked me at one of the schools, you know, well, this is all very well, but when am I ever going to use coding in real life? Uh, I just fixed him with a, uh, a look and said, mate, whatever job you're going to go into, you are going to use coding of some sort. And he kind of looked at me and said, oh, yeah, how? I said, well, you know, if, if you're going to be going into a job, which, you know, you're going to be working with a spreadsheet, there's going to be coding using that spreadsheet. If you're going to be going into a job where you've got to help design a, a website, there's going to be coding used there. A- anything that any job in the future is going to involve some sort of coding. So it's, it's no longer, you know, the case that kids can say, when are we going to use this? Well, you're going to use this in any job you go into. And even in in the theoretical sciences, like you know, my son was has graduated from physics, and uh, I remember him working in a lab. And I would always, always, oh, what what physics did you do today? He says, no, I didn't do physics. I was doing coding today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and my even my my youngest daughter, she's in biology, and she just just the other day she was at home coding uh, statistics in R. You know, so I mean, it's it's rife through the sciences for sure. Yeah, and I remember. Um... Uh, a few years ago, I did my master's of mathematics teaching at the University of Waterloo. And one of the first courses I did on that was, was coding and was learning new things like Inkscape. But in, in, in particular, I really enjoyed learning uh, LaTeX, which is this kind of program where you learn to use to, to show your work using mathematical symbols. And it's, it's something which I, I didn't know at this point, but LaTeX is used extensively uh, in, in math departments to, to communicate your work. And that, that's something I really enjoyed. It's it a nice surprise to learn that. Yeah, it was fun. my my son, he uh, in physics, he said they use it all the time to you know write up his reports, and he yeah. was pretty proficient. At it. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Now, now the, the the grade nine curriculum, the coding part of it is written, you know, having or, or it's written with the intent that students have had coding uh, through from K to K to eight, but. Mm-hmm. Our current grade nine students are, are not in a cohort that have had coding from K to eight. Uh, in fact, the the the, uh, the first grade nines that are going to be in that boat are, are years away. Uh, how does that uh, change the way uh, or affect the way that you approach coding in the classroom? Yeah, the, <laughs> it, it did make it a little bit tricky. The the one saving grace is that. When I went into uh, each of the, the, the classes and each of the schools that I was working in, the, the first question that I, I asked is, hands up if you've done any sort of coding before. And pretty much in every single class I went into, every hand was raised. And then there's the question of, well, what, what coding language, what platform have you used? And when uh, a lot of kids said that they, they used uh, Scratch or the one with colored blocks as they described it, that at least gave us some sort of starting point. What we found interesting, though, was that they'd use Scratch mainly for making some sort of game, like a a Mario-type game or a Pac-Man-type game. But it at least told us that they they would have maybe have some familiarity familiarity with variables or or something like that or different types of inputs. But the way I I kind of uh, structured each of the 
each of the tasks that I gave the teachers is that we just introduce one little thing at a time. So it would be, you know, just the, the first task would just be getting students used to creating variables and using variables and, and using operations with those variables. And the next time we'd get used to using loops and then if-then statements and then other sorts of inputs as well. So bit by bit, we're trying to make sure that they had all the tools that they should have learned in, in the elementary grades by the end of that grade nine experience. This, of course, uh, has led to some sort of thinking, well, okay, so we've seen some like really nice things that kids have done with, with the coding in grade nine. You know, why, why stop it in grade nine? Are there opportunities in the grade 10 course to continue this? And if we do, do we, do we stick with Scratch? Or do we kind of uh, give kids another opportunity? Do we get them to use pseudocode? Do we get them to use Python? And we're still trying to figure that bit out. But I, I, I would like to extend it into the grade 10 course, you know, uh, and even if it's just like a two or three opportunities to do a bit of coding, I think, I think that'd be really nice. And then if we do it in grade 10, can we do it in the grade 11 courses as well? So yeah, that, that's that's one of the things I'm I'm playing around with at the moment, thinking about how we can take it from grade nine into the other grades as well. So I I would love for you to give us a little bit of a a preview of of uh, an example of an activity that you think sort of hits the curriculum expectations uh, while doing coding in grade nine. Okay, so. I think, yeah, I could probably give you a, a couple of examples. So the, the very first code that I give um, is, is getting kids to basically create a table of values in, in Scratch. And it, it gets them to basically set up their, their, their canvas so it will print off a table of values. They have to create two variables, an X and a Y variable. They use a little repeat loop. They have to set the Y variable to equal to 3X plus 1 and then print out a set of coordinates uh, to, for that. It's, it's a very, very simple code to make. But once, once the kids have actually done that and they see the, the coordinates being printed out on their little scratch screen and they're giving each other high fives, I then like to have these extra challenges. So it, it might be something as simple, okay, now make your code say y equals 5x minus 7 or 20 take away 3x divided by 5 or x squared take away 5x. So I'm just kind of nudging them to do something a little bit, they have to be a bit more thoughtful about. So for example, when it says 20 take away 3x divided by 5, you have to be very careful about the order of operations there and you know where, where do you put your brackets or that sort of thing or even something like x squared take away 5x, you know. Uh, seeing students kind of struggle to when what does how to do x squared until they kind of re realize oh that's just x times x i just got to do use a an x twice there and then to give them other challenges say well okay so you've got to change it this time to get this particular output so you have to change your you have to uh change your program now so it gives me these coordinates one three three seven five eleven seven fifteen how are you going to do that and what I particularly like about that is that a nice is kind of uh, getting a bit more into strand over. They've got to think really, really carefully about how are they going to change their output. So the x coordinates are one, three, five, and seven, and then the y coordinates are three, seven, eleven, and fifteen. And seeing them uh, think their way through that, you know, and having to test something, it doesn't work. 
okay, we'll test it again. We'll, we'll, we'll change something and test it again. Oh, that doesn't work, but we're getting a bit closer. Change it and test it again. I really like that idea because it really emphasizes this, this problem-solving model, you know, uh, try and, 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 and fix and try and fix and try and fix until until you get there and you, you see the students, you know, just become a, a bit more uh, uh, adept algebraically uh, as they're working way through their way through that. And it's, it's all from a fairly straightforward uh, program, you know, uh, taking an X value and, you know, getting a set of Y values and print it on the table. So that I particularly like that one as an introduction. And then I've got another one, which you, you, you've probably heard of, hailstone numbers. I don't know if I have. I don't know if I have. Well, so hailstone numbers, you start, you write down a positive integer. Uh, and then if the number is even, you divide it by two and you write that new number. But if the number is odd, you multiply by three and add one and you write that new number. And then you keep on doing that. And the way we introduce this, we just actually give them a, a flowchart to begin with. In fact, all, all the work we do, we start with a, a basic flowchart, which I sometimes think is a bit like pseudocode. And so follow the flowchart and, and write down the output. And what's, what's particularly nice about the hailstone numbers is that as, as they do that, it seems to be that whatever number you start at, you, you seem to get caught in this loop, this four, two, one loop. And uh, the students then say, is that always going to work? I say, oh, I don't know. But I do know that there's a million dollar prize that if you find a number that doesn't get stuck, caught in that four two one loop, you know, you, you win that million dollars. And then so that's kind of gets some uh, thinking because this this connects to something. I think it's called the collapse conjecture. So say so now here's a code which you can use to to help you uh, to help you uh, with your search. You know, can you adapt the code to make it more efficient and kind of introduce it that way and it, it's with that little kind of uh, hook you know if, if, you, if you find a number that doesn't go down to four two one you get a billion dollars that's that's quite a motivation for for some for some of our students so that that's another little story uh, another little um uh, activity i like uh, if the, the kids are motivated I, I show them the little number file video about the class conjecture at the end of it you know to as a nice way of finishing uh, and I say it's, it's, it might not have a specific curriculum connection apart from when we look at strand A, the mathematical thinking. Uh, so that, that's another one which I like. I think it also connects to, you could, you could probably connect it to the expectations on uh, the types of numbers, I imagine. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think you, you could do that as well. Uh, and, and certainly, uh, when we, we look at the, the class conjecture, and we, we talk about you know, these huge numbers uh, that are involved as well. You, you then get into ideas about what proof is, you know, and you know how can we sure that we check all the numbers, and you, you can then get into conversations about infinity and everything like that as well. So, yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, that's a good point, David. Okay, well, I, I have, I'm going to cut this short because I got to go write my code so I can get the million dollars. So. <laughs> You're going to split it with me, though. <laughs> well, okay, I, I guess since we're doing this publicly, but <laughs> um, well, I do want to thank you for for talking to us today and giving us a little bit of a preview of our of your upcoming webinar, and uh, we will talk to you in a few weeks at that webinar. So thanks a lot, Michael. I look forward to it, David. That was Mike Jacobs talking about coding in grade 9 math. OME members can still sign up for this free January 11th webinar by logging into our MCIS registration site 
or getting more info at talks.ome.on.ca. That's it for our regular season, but we do have a few bonus episodes coming up where we will hear from the featured and keynote speakers from the upcoming OME 2023 conference, and we will also hear from this season's guests one more time as they all answer the same question about what they've learned from their childhood math teachers. So stay tuned for those, and in the meantime, stay safe.